0: everybody, Josh Brown here back for another great episode on franchise euphoria. Well, today's episode is brought to you by IndieFranchiseLaw.com, a leading resource in the franchise space to help you. If you're considering buying a franchise, turning your business into a franchise, Or growing your business through a licensing or franchise structure. So go on, check it out, indiefranchiselaw.com. I think you'll find a lot of valuable and free information as you continue to kind of weigh franchising and licensing and the growth of your business. Without further ado, I hope you enjoy today's episode. On today's episode of Franchise Euphoria, I've got Brant Wilson. Brant is the executive vice president of TBC Corporation and president and COO of TBC Franchise Group. Now, many of you may not know TBC Franchise Group, but if I say Midas Franchise or Big O Tires Franchise, I think that's a little bit more recognizable. And um, those are under the TBC uh, Franchise Group. Prior to joining TBC, TBC, Brant uh, was with H&R Block uh, for a number of years and has a tremendous amount of experience in working with companies on expansion and growth. And I on in this episode, it's a really fascinating uh, look at a fairly sizable franchise operation and how someone with Brant's skill sets has been able to come in and really help shape their growth and continue to help them uh, make their franchise arm stronger. So without further ado, I hope you enjoy this interview with Brant. Hello, Brant. Welcome to Franchise Euphoria. How you doing?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you very much. Good to be here.
0: Yeah. Happy to, uh, thrilled to have you here. You know, you're the executive vice president of TBC Corp and president and CEO of TBC Franchise Group, which, you know, to many they might be saying, you know, what is that? It just sounds like a whole bunch of letters, but uh, you know, TBC Corp and TBC Franchise oversee the concepts of Midas and Big O Tire, and uh, I think some others. But before we dive in to that, um, I know you've got a significant and impressive background in the franchise space and in business in general. So maybe you could take a couple minutes to to tell us about yourself.
1: Yeah, I started in the military, actually, went to the, the military academy and. Uh, Came out and I worked on the Signal Corps. So I was a communications guy, um, as my the, the colonel in charge put it, if it plugs into the wall, you were in charge of it. So that went from the radios all the way to the, the coffee makers. But I was the electronics guy in the Army um, and had a great time. I was I served back in the 90s and really thought about making a career – uh, out of the military, but you know, growing up wanted to get on the business side as well. So, didn't, and joined a small startup back in the internet heyday. So, did you? Serve, so, did you serve in Iraq? No, you know, I actually it was interesting. I was at school during the Gulf War, and when in, in ninety one, and so didn't participate in that. And then. I served um, through '98, so it was actually in between the conflicts. So the uh, Afghanistan um, conflict after 2001. So I actually served in between in between the conflict. And that you know that was when, when you were going to school at that time and choosing your profession. Uh, we weren't we weren't deployed, you know twice out of every three years back in the day. And so it was more of a school decision than it was a real career decision. It really kind of woke us up and we're at school going, wow, we, we're, we're in this. And, and now I have a lot of um, friends and compatriots who, who have stayed in and have just a very different life than when we thought back when we were at school um, um, due to all the conflicts. So I, I was in between the conflicts.
0: Well, thank you for your service, uh, most definitely. <clears throat> what, what changed? In terms of your thinking of staying in the military to switch to get you in to the business side, yeah.
1: Of well, I think yeah. growing up, um, just um, father following in, in dad's footsteps, he had had some success there, and I, you know, just looked at him as a um, as something I wanted to do as well. When when I was in the military, we we're actually speaking of the conflicts. Um, after the Gulf War, we were drawing down uh, the troop levels and so I was actually given an opportunity to leave before my commitment ended at two years. Um, you know and I, I thought heavily and I really enjoyed the military. I mean truly the the currency in the army is the branch I served in is um, is leadership. Clearly I was getting, some um, training and proficiency in communications which i actually didn't have uh, it and communications which uh, bode well later in my career on the tech side but truly it was it's all about leadership that's how your effectiveness is measured day in and day out with a whole variance of, of audiences of folks down to uh, you know colonels and captains and sold the american soldiers just unbelievable different variants there that you couldn't get at least at that level, when you're 24, 25, get on seemingly on the outside. So I, I decided to stay in for the full five years, but did have a desire um, always to go in the in the business. It was just kind of built around when I would see my dad's successes. And so um saw the opportunity back in in nine in the late 90s when you know, the, the Internet was going and software companies were the hot place to be. There was, there was opportunities there and decided to take that um, at the end of my commitment. Well, so
0: it's sort of interesting. I mean, and I don't think it's by accident. There are many, many uh, people who served in the Army, in the military, uh, who then get into leadership roles uh, in general, but but in particular in, in the franchise space, you know, and I think it's a natural, it's natural progression, certainly the skills and training and so forth that you go through lends itself to that. So when you got out, you went to and worked with, with Sprint Corporation and ASAP Automation. What did you do for those for those companies?
1: Yeah, so ASAP Automation, they were, um, it was a, f- a small family-run software company. They did material handling. So they went into distribution centers and they sold conveyor belts and carousels. Um, and, and they were on the hardware side and wanted to get in the software, which would, um, kind of plug into an SAP or a JD Edwards um, and do all the picking, and the stocking and the packing, all those processes. And so, our value prop was we could go in and configure um, your processes in the distribution centers instead of having just kind of take what the SAPs had in their in their module. So uh, it was a great opportunity. Uh, worked for a great owner that was in Louisville and did that for a couple years. And when I uh, was looking at the different opportunities there, I truly wanted to get into a larger organization from a leadership perspective. Um, so I ended up going back to school uh, for a year, business school. And then, yeah, I, I went on to uh, Sprint Corporation.
0: Well, and then from, so, so with Sprint, and then you go on to H&R Block, which I think is probably really where you started first experiencing what it's like to be a part of a, of a large franchise system, right? I mean, is that fair?
1: Very fair. Yeah, we, we had dealer, we had phone dealers on the Sprint side, which I serviced and supported, but was not in the field or operational that directly was in charge of them. So yeah, while, while there was some, there was some overlap there, truly from a, from a leadership management perspective, it was H&R Block.
0: So talk a little bit about H&R Block and what you did for them, how you helped them and how that helped position you then to come over to TBC.
1: So the idea of going to H&R Block was to have the ability, if I earned it, to go run a, a large retail organization. You know, 11,000 stores at the time. We were 60-40, uh, company-owned a franchise. So it was a good opportunity to get into both businesses. And how it was really structured back uh, when H&R Block was growing fast was in the metro areas, they would be Company owned, and so they would have enough uh, enough stores there for district managers, and that's whole company owned support structure. And then we would franchise out in the more rural areas or outside, and that's one for efficiency sake. But two, the 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 thought and the foresight was those franchisees can be part of those smaller communities, unlike a district manager who's driving out from uh, from the big city. And so that was a strategy. Around that, um, so we were about sixty forty. I had multiple role sixty forty company franchise. I had multiple roles, um, but again, the idea was to, to get into a leadership role. So eventually, took the uh, western part of the country. So was um, charge of about two thousand stores, and about seven seven hundred of those were were in the franchise side. Did you have some travel? I would imagine. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say so. I mean, clearly on. In everything, but truly on the franchise side, it, it is a the currency there. There's some leadership, but it really is time and relationship, and you just can't fast forward that process. And it as as you know, it it entails um, in the in the offices with their people. It entails in the living room with with their families. It's really. Um, getting to trust and getting to know them um, in multiple areas to, to build up here's the new guy and, and, and how what what's his agenda and how does he see the world because I know how I see the world i've been operating this for 15 20 years and so yeah a lot of travel both in homes as well as um, as well as offices and, and kind of getting up to speed on in and, and, and each of a block in the field
0: and so now you're now you sort of got a breadth of Franchise experience, and franchise related experience, and so after about eight years at H and R Block, and then, and then you make the move over to TBC in uh, 2013. Obviously, there's a difference between what TBC does and H uh, and R Block. But what was the real impetus for 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 making a move over to TBC?
1: Yeah. So just to to round out, if I go backwards a little bit on the H and R Block side, we had had some success. We were the biggest market in the West Coast was Los Angeles, and we had been trying to win in that market for a while, and it's obviously a heavy Latino population, and so uh, and that's where our model wasn't winning. And so two years out there, we spent a large amount of time converting independents to become H&R Block franchisees. And, and instead of us uh, buying them and or, or creating ground-ups, if you will, getting that tax preparer who's in the community, who speaks the language, who hire folks who speak the language. Uh, we didn't just want his four walls. We wanted him or her. And so we, we did a, uh, a big effort on converting. And so that was a, uh, that was a unique um, thing that we Wasn't unique per se, but in from a company perspective, we ended up done that uh, in volume, and so I I ended up my career at H and R Block, going back and doing acquisitions and development, taking that model back to corporate where we actually did it did it nationwide. And so, long answer to your question, and looking at TBC, TBC was looking at a similar strategy. Um, A lot of uh, independence, um, And there was uh, some similarities in wanting to not, not only get the bays that they had, but also that operator on the franchise side. And so um, they were looking for someone who had experience in that and having experience both in the field side and then in the acquisition development sales side. I um, was able to have a, a really good conversation on TBC and look at the opportunity here.
0: Well, I mean, I love the strategy, the conversion strategy, and, and we were talking a little bit off of the recording that you know I've I've worked with um, with 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 Big O Tires as an example with TBC on a conversion uh, that that's that went well, and I think it's uh, you know, I think in franchising it's interesting because you know one of the challenges uh, for you know growth minded franchisors is always you know how do you match up a sales process with making sure that you get ideal candidates you know people who are would be a good fit for the model and you're not just selling to anybody who comes in well on a conversion model where you're going in and you're essentially uh, talking with somebody about the opportunity of becoming part of a larger brand when they've already been doing it for a number of years I mean that certainly takes that that risk proposition and lowers it you know now now obviously at that point you probably have a scenario where okay is this person going to be able to fit within the franchise realm within the franchise operating standards yeah. you know because when you go in and you know you convert somebody who's been doing it their own way i'm sure there's challenges there as well talk yeah. a little bit about that because you know it's not something I've, I've i've often talked about on this show but i think it's really interesting and i think it's a very smart way to grow a franchise business and that is to go in and just convert others into that system. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, it looks good on paper to start doing it. And you, and you do run, um, and, and there are the, the key components of, Hey, well this independent, and that's, you know, that can be to the core of who he or she is, right. They're independent for a reason and the value proposition that it, what it would, why go into a brand. And there's a couple things in the industry, um, that are creating some opportunities for consolidation or why I'd convert or why I sell. But yeah, you know, we have a pretty rigorous look on how we're going to grow and, you know, you can grow in three ways. You take, your existing franchisees um and you create opportunities for them to grow right you compete against other franchise models and get new um new folks from outside of um in corporate america are leaving and, and evaluating other franchises why would they come to midas or big O? and then then you have those operators that are um that are running stores now and so uh again they're, they're some nuances going on in the automotive aftermarket industry that are creating reasons for um, joining up with a bigger brand. And so we have, um, we call it door knocking, you know, we have a sales team, which is specific charter is to go find um, new franchisees. We have an operations team, which works with our existing dealers, right? And their whole job is to grow their same store sales. But we've taken Part of their time, and we call it door knocking, where in the local areas our operation folks will just go knock on doors of independents, just you know, say how they're doing, how's the business going, just to create a relationship. Because when, and rarely do you knock on a door and someone goes, "Oh, great, I want to sell or convert." You're really not even selling at that point. You have an operator talking to an operator, and you know, they're competitors, but you know, you find things in common, you can start that conversation. Well, often how it happens is you know, with a, with a small company, things affect your life, right? Your life affects the business and, um, something, someone may get sick or you may want to move away and there may be a desire to, um, sell the business or, Hey, you, you, something else has happened. I want to join the brand. Now I've printed that relationship. So, um, so that's how we've kind of, gone across the country and created relationships with independents. Again, we have to evaluate, to your point, is this the right guy or gal? Is that going to fit into the system? Well, how do you do that? I mean, like, like how do you,
0: like, what's the mechanism? I, mean, I think, because it's, it's one thing to go in yeah. and you look at financials and you look at location and you look at structure and you look at number of employees, but it's a lot harder to really understand what it's what they're gonna be like, and, and I think you probably have to go in with the perspective of okay, this person's been operating, let's say their own yeah. tire place for fifteen years. How, what what are some of the personality traits and some of the other uh, things, characteristics that you look for where you say, yeah, I think this will be a good fit, or eh, yeah, maybe the, not so um,
1: much. One, why are they doing it if they're if they're truly running? From something into a different solution, and you can um, you quickly kind of get to that on the wise. There's no rush to the process. We're not meeting a deadline. We're not trying to convert this uh, this this organization uh, under a, a stopwatch. So we have time is a benefactor to the evaluation. If they're running from something, whether it be a money issue or another another problem, that 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 comes out. Again, pretty quickly, or at least the process we have and doesn't mean that we may not entertain, but we may entertain a sale like one of our franchisees purchases that versus they actually come and become a franchisee. And then we also introduce him to multiple people so you know we have a salesperson out there we have an operations person we have a senior operations vp you can sit down and again have a conversation in their living room of why and really understand what makes them tick and then we have the biggest asset that we have is our existing franchisees so we we put them um with with some of our franchisees in the market or surrounding areas what is it like to be a franchisee what are the you know the great things of the franchisor, and what are the things that you kind of got to follow the rules on? We, we look at all of those aspects and kind of kind of triangulate on is this is this person really going to come in and grab the processes that we have? They're going to conform them, but we are going to be able to have some opportunities, and they're going to have to also secondly play play well within our franchise network. I mean, you want to have somebody that come in and just doesn't turn into a robot. But we've done a lot of work in creating a pretty strong culture in both areas, Um, and we want new thoughts and great thoughts, but someone who's going to, you know, be part of the system. And so I think through a lot of eyeballs and time are the way we get to make that make that right. Well, so TBC,
0: so TBC owns Big O Tires,
1: Midas. Is there anybody else from a franchise perspective? We we uh, I think in 2016 when we purchased Midas. 2012 TBC purchased Midas. And along with that was a another concept, speedy oil change. That's what it was. I couldn't remember the name. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so speedy oil change, um, Midas had purchased years before and some of the strategic moves of trying to... Um, create different formats and and trying to drive car count through oil change. And it was just a different time and, and a different strategy. And so as we looked in 2016 of the of the growth that we wanted to have, we really didn't want to grow the, even though it was a very, it's a, it's a good brand and a solid business model. We were focused more on growing tires at Midas uh, versus growing the brand. And we, we knew we had an asset there that, um, that someone else could probably invest in and, and drive more, and so we we sold that. I think in, in 2000, uh, 2017. we sold Speedy, and so now we have Midas just just Midas and, and Big O tires.
0: Well oh, and approximately between so there's a number of corporate stores and franchise stores with Midas and Big O. Or are they all franchised?
1: No, we had. Um, I mean, the, the short answer is it's franchise. It's a hundred hundred percent franchise. So yeah, we had. Um, we had some company-owned, a couple hundred, maybe company-owned stores on the Midas side back in 2013 or, or so, and we uh, we sold those to a, uh, a new franchisee, and so we are we are a hundred percent franchise model.
0: Well, and and now, what do you guys have? About 2,500 locations? Is it between the two?
1: Yeah, between the two, we have. Um, from a you know, so for overall, twenty one hundred on the Midas side, twelve hundred in North America. The balance around twelve hundred. The balance are across fourteen hundred. I mean, um, fourteen countries. Um, so they're master franchise, um, and then we have four hundred, almost four hundred sixty Big O stores. Yeah.
0: And so, are you so are you guys focusing on expanding or growing Big O more now, or to get to the level of? Of Midas or are you just kind of doing them in in in, con- in conjunction with one another?
1: Yeah, they're no they're they're totally um, totally separate, obviously brands and actual concepts and, and value propositions to the customer. Um, when you look at I mean, Big O tires, it's about sixty five percent tires and the balance being service um, service oriented services of the consumer. It's a flip on the Midas side. We're about 15 20% tires only and primarily service. When people think of Midas, again, historically, that had the muffler. we morphed that into brakes, into general service, and now we're morphing that into tires. But it's a totally different brands and concepts. While we run them from a leadership perspective similarly, um, definitely different brands. So we grow them. We have an acquisitions and development group that does cover both. Um, but we look for uh, you know, di- different things or di- different business models. And so we grow them, um, independently, but yeah, lo- we are looking, um, uh, definitely to continue to grow big O it, it is started out West. Um, but it has, is grown uh, pretty well. And we just, you know, we have a lot of interest, um, in big O and, and actually big O and new markets, you know, you gotta be pretty, um, when you're when you're jumping into a brand new market with one or two stores, you got to make sh- you got to have a growth plan. So we, we, we do we have to monitor and, and measure exactly if we go into a new market what that looks like. But we still clearly have a lot of demand in the markets that we're in for big O tires.
0: Well, listen, I just had to put four new tires on my car not too long ago, and trust me, I know it's a profitable venture for you guys. <laughs> Thank um, you very much. <laughs> I did. I went to a big O. uh, So, and they did a good job. So, but in any event, I talk about, I mean, you know, this kind of with big O tires and with Midas, right? I mean, these are, these are brands that um, are in the business of, you know, doing the auto repair, doing the tire change, doing everything that kind of falls under, under that window, which, you know, is, is, I would say it's probably recession resistant. I mean, would you agree with that? I mean, you know, it, it changes, right? I think the needs change, but you know, I think if you're if you're in a recession, I think maybe you guys get more service on vehicles. Would I be wrong to assume that? No, if people aren't buying as many no it's, vehicles, it's
1: definitely uh, a good catch. Clearly, your uh, OEMs or your you know your manufacturers for new vehicles clearly that is as we know that's not 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 a recession proof business. That's clearly driven by. Uh, economy, consumer confidence, um, but from an aftermarket automotive, uh, we we do have some protection on that side. Clearly, you, you cars have have to run now. There will be um, the consumers will put 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 that off as long as they can, and there's deferred maintenance there. But you know, back in in the 2008 or 9 um, implosion. And you see, we may be off three or four points. That um, pales a, pale a comparison with some other um, components of the automotive industry. So, and, and also, not just just my word, as things are changing in the automotive space. You know, there are a substantial amount of private equity looking at the space specifically for that. Well, one to capture the the changes going on in the industry, and two that it can be a component of their portfolio. Um, that, that that doesn't crater during during a recession,
0: no. Well, I think it's also smart, too, to focus on tires because, I mean, I think the reality is cars are, are made better now, right? I mean, they continue to be made better and better. And even though they need maintenance, people will defer it. But I think with tires as well, you know, you can only defer that so long. No. <laughs> I mean, there's, you know, your treads your are going to run out. And if you don't get them switched, you're in trouble. If you get nails in them, I mean, all those sorts of things where it's like you can't really...
1: Yeah.
0: No, and you can
1: mine. see and, and often feel it most. I mean, service and, and tires—you you would imagine well, it's just part of a car. It should be the It's—it's it's really a different sales event um, at the at the counter or out in the parking lot. I mean, a tire you can see it, you you, you know it, um, and then also on the, on the flip side, pricing is is. Hundred percent transparent, right? If you need to know the the price of a tire, I mean, it is it is out there and, and extremely transparent. On, on the service side, you know. It's hard to diagnose something over the phone. You know, if if you got a, a flat Michelin, I can give you the price. If you have brakes that squeal, I, I'm going to have to look at that because I, it actually could be multiple things going on there. And and you know the feeling of, of kind of taking your I mean, you taking a vehicle to to a shop and and just waiting for what are they going to come back with? And and truly, you know, back in the '90s, our industry got a got a you know, a bad rap for that. Um, it may be taking advantage of that and, and we had to right side ourselves. So now we really, um, I think go above bore on presenting the facts of the vehicle and let the consumers decide. But yeah, on the, on the tire, it is a, is a much easier um, visible sale than anything else service-wide under the hood or in a car. Well, so
0: with our remaining couple minutes here, I want to talk about a couple of things. First is, you know, competition. And then second, I want to talk about the franchisees, but, One of the things I think is interesting and relevant is the fact that, you know, how do you as a uh, automotive service tire company, I mean, how do you stick out from the? I mean, there's a whole bunch of competitors out there, right? And so you can go in and you can, you can buy the competitors, you can convert the competitors, but you're always going to have a whole bunch of competing models out there. I mean, what makes you guys different or what makes you different enough that you can market on, on that? Or, uh, for this type of service, is it, is it really about name brand recognition?
1: Yeah the the name and brand and both with both brands are significant. You know from a um, from a Midas side, I mean it's a it's a venerable brand that's been around for a while, and, and that and that actually kind of cuts both ways. When you have a strong brand recognition, you're actually changing some of the things that you offer. Um, you know, people still call us. Midas Muffler, when in fact that has been you know was decades ago where that was a heartbeat of our product offering. Um, and so that, that's that the brand is strong, but that also works again to what we against what we offer. Um, Big O again not national brand but regionally extremely strong brand uh, in the markets. So the brand is is key um, but it will come down to service. I mean it is a commodity there are multiple places that you can go. And so our job as a franchisor um, is to, you know, the, the, the dollars that the franchisees give us to um, steward that and to drive vehicles to their door. And their job, conversely, is to retain those customers, give a great customer experience. And you know, we may have pricing sales here and we may be convenient, um, which is another big component. Um, but. At the, it's usually three things. Price, it's, that kind of works itself out. We're going to be competitive, but it's really convenience of where you're located and do I trust, um, do I trust this shop and, and trust the operator? And that's where we have to differentiate ourselves. It's in the service, and then I, 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 I like to say service, but then how that transforms the trust. Um, so you know, the, the, the brand and the actual trust are going to be what differentiates us.
0: So, I mean that that segues well into the last sort of topic, and that is um, the franchisees. You know, when you're not converting somebody into a franchise, I mean, are you out there? Are you guys bringing on new franchisees or new people who who don't currently have a tire shop or yes. a shop? Yes, yeah,
1: we, we we absolutely are, and we're. Uh... Again, we look for, you know, our, our existing franchisees has been growing uh, healthy, which is great. It's almost like, you know, kind of insider trading. They know the benefit that we have to offer and they're buying and, and opening new shops. But um, we uh, are absolutely have a heavy a, uh, development team focused on individuals that are not in the automotive space who want to own their own business. Um, and we actively compete against the other other formats, automotive or non-automotive, um, and compete to win uh, those operators into, into our shops. So yeah, we we look to, we open around between 15, 25 stores a year in, in both brands. I mean, there's, you know, as we all know, you have to do that very smartly. Um, we could open a lot more and then we could have a lot more risk in the system as well. So we feel that's a good, healthy amount each year to uh, on store growth that we have, and, and our existing franchisees are a great um, source. But that doesn't that doesn't hit that. There are a lot of great other operators that haven't had the experience yet in, in the automotive franchise area that we that we look to to bring in the fold. So, I mean,
0: are you looking though primarily at auto mechanics? I mean, do I need to be able to to change tires and diagnose things? Are Are you looking for people who are good business people who can surround themselves with good managers, general managers who and, and, and service people who,
1: yeah, it's, who know what they're doing. It's definitely the latter. It is uh, we want uh, hands on men and women that are have led and will lead in a um, in a high energy environment. I mean the the in the heart of a busy automotive shop, it is there's a lot of things going on that I mean, sitting in the waiting room not see um, but it's it is a um, looking at other and being uh, aware of other franchise models it's it's not just a you know put a product out for sale and them and them uh, and the consumers come um, we are selling we are evaluating we are doing repair that they may have not come in for um, so there's a lot of moving parts and and organized high, energy leader that will come in uh, and operate multiple departments that's first and foremost I think the, the automotive component um, you know we you, you, obviously clearly you want to come up to speed on that and there are that's who you're going to hire that's going to be your trusted staff that, that you have but we need leaders we need we need operators um, and so that's that's our primary focus.
0: Well, if you want to learn more about TBC Corp, you can go to tbccorp.com. You can learn more about Big O Tires at bigotires.com or Midas at midas.com. And there there are several other links that I have. um, But is there any any other place, Brant, where we should direct people to go if they want to learn more about the opportunities?
1: Yeah, I think if you big old franchise, you can Google big O franchise or or Midas franchise, and that'll funnel you quickly to to the to the site. Because um, I think it's you know it is there's a won't get into the industry. It's a lot of lot of interesting things that are working towards the consolidation, and not just to be a, a sales pitch, but um, a lot of a lot of independents um, are looking to sell. And uh, convert or looking to sell, and so there's just there's just a lot of opportunity. It's it's great to be able to team up um, with a big company like TBC, who's got distribution and has the network and has the support, as we try to wade through the the, the changes coming in the automotive industry. So um, I think it's 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 really I know it sounds like a sales plug, but I got to tell you, it's a really it's kind of a fun place to be. Um, and a lot what of what other uh, real quick,
0: I mean, what, what other changes are you seeing? What what other yeah. changes are you seeing on the horizon?
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, uh, the, the things that you read about uh, about what uh, on the on the automotive industry are going to have effects at the manufacturer, the distributor and the retail level. So a couple of those are, are ride sharing. Now, some of these are more geographic, but we are absolutely seeing a change um, uh, from a ride-sharing perspective, and that equates to into to car ownership, right? For, you're going to see four or five years from now, and you're seeing that in San Francisco right now, Seattle, and other metropolitans where um, your consumer running an automotive business is going to change over time. It's not going to be the consumer; it is going to be fleet companies which lease these vehicles out to Uber or Lyft drivers um, or different models, car sharing all all in. And so, you know, your traditional just put a TV ad out and go get consumers, those specifically in the urban areas, that is changing. And so you need to have, you know, relationships with these large fleet companies. And it's hard as a small independent to do that, really. And so that's why a lot of – that's that's, that's where we're getting some – um, some play with some individuals I and mean, the other, uh, I mean, some individual operators, um, the connected car.
0: What you're saying, I mean, because of your size and because of your network of, of, of people uh, and businesses, you're able to be more on the front end of these changes as opposed to, you know, the independent mom or pop operator. Who's not, does just doesn't have the time. I don't think to, to do this where you have a whole department or a whole team or a whole division that's devoted to these sorts of things.
1: Yeah, exactly. So TBC, you know, we we also have a network of 780 or so retail company owned stores. Um, And so when you combine those with the franchise network, you know, we have a national footprint with not, not a lot of um, not too many other, aftermarket automotive specialists can say. And so when you have large fleet companies that are that are now and are going to grow their fleet based upon this side, they, they want to deal with someone that can handle it You know, in, in, in New Jersey and Nevada, right? I don't want to have to, and working with a thousand different independents across the country, I understand you may provide good service, but at some time it's just effectiveness and efficiency. And so to be able to plug in with a big partner that has that footprint, the IT infrastructure to, to create that um, relationship with the big companies, um, and then just the processes. Yeah, that that is what the value prop. As we talk to individual, uh, and they see that coming, um, individual operators um, that we have to be able to, to have that fleet, um, the fleet capability. So that's you know that's it's a big one. When you also look at autonomy, you know that's again is that is that going to happen tomorrow, where we're you know. Flying around in Star Wars cars, thats that's not gonna, not going to happen in full autonomy cars. It's, you know, there, there's there's some um, there's some path there to get there. However, you see the technology being de- deployed as we speak. You know, it used to be cameras, and now there's sensors, and and that creates complexity. Um, and it completes complexity within the service area. And so teaming up with a large organization that's going to have access to the technologies needed uh, to service those um, and to work with our franchisees benefit from having a company-owned uh, group as well um, is, a, is a big component to where it becomes expensive. And how do I get the training in order to keep up with all these all these changes as well? So those are two Two key pieces that are looking to to, to drive consolidation, at least within the retail segment of the aftermarket automotive space. And so, um, again, it's not only individual operators, there's there's a good, good amount of. Um, larger um, private equity that's, that looks and that, that knocks on our door and talks to us about opportunities because they see the winners and losers in this in this new automotive landscape uh, and they're already placing their bets and so it's a it's kind of kind of a you, you think of automotive as kind of slow and sleepy but it's it's kind of an interesting place as these things. Um, shape out of the next decade or
0: so. Well, I mean, it's exciting, and it's also it's also really relevant to uh, why somebody in the automotive space might think about tying in with a franchise system. Because again, you know the the idea of the long term value proposition is something that uh, independents and franchises alike all think about, and uh, that's one very important benefit. That, uh, that you guys can provide and others where you do have a large footprint and you have a whole team and focus dedicated towards that. So th- thank you so much, Brandt, for coming on. This has been a really uh, interesting and uh, enlightening interview just in terms of learning more about uh, TBC, what it does through big O and, and Midas and of course your background. So thanks so much, Gina. I wish you uh, nothing but the uh, best of luck uh, going forward.
1: No, it was a great time. I, I listened to myself talk a lot, but I appreciate uh, appreciate it. it was a, It was a good chat. Thanks.
0: Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Franchise Euphoria. If you enjoyed this episode or have enjoyed the podcast in general, I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave me a rating and review. It really helps to get this podcast out to more and more people. So the easy way to do it is go to iTunes and in the search box, put in Franchise Euphoria. You will then see my cover art if you click on my smiling face that says Franchise Euphoria. And then click on the link that says Ratings and Reviews. It's that simple, but boy, oh boy, does it mean the world to me when people leave ratings and reviews. And like I said, it really helps get the show out there. Once again, would love it if you would go to iTunes and leave a rating and review if you enjoyed this episode or other episodes of the show. And until the next time, happy franchising.